You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. About at this point in the story of Ruth, it's like a, a movie that is reaching its its climax and you're, you're wanting to, to know more. You're wanting to know what's going to happen like a good book. You're almost tempted to go to the end to see what takes place. The, the plot has thickened. The, the romance is certainly rising in our story. And in chapter 1 of Ruth, we were hit with the bitter providence of God. We, we were struck with the fact that, that oftentimes God leads us in ways in which maybe are not easy at the moment. You remember with Naomi, she, she lost her homeland. They, they were in a time of famine. She lost her husband, her sons, and one of her daughters-in-law. But along with the bitter providence, providence of God, there was also the sweet providence as well. Because as the famine broke in Judah, Naomi and Ruth were able to go back, and Ruth commits herself to care for Naomi, and, and there's hope that's introduced. But the chapter ends with Naomi focusing more on the, the bitter providence of God than the sweet providence of God because she says, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And she was focusing on everything that was falling apart around her. And she was doubting the love of God. And then in chapter 2, last week we met Boaz. And we were really struck with the three main characters in this story. And we were struck with the difference that God makes in the lives of people that have committed themselves to Him. Each of these individuals, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, were people that stood out in their culture. We talked about that. They stood out as people who genuinely had been changed by the love of God. Even Naomi, in all her bitterness, in all her doubting of God's love, she never let go of the presence of God. And here in chapter 3, there's really one word that I want you guys to focus on this morning, and that's hope. I want you to keep that in mind as we study this passage together. Hope is something that I want us to glean from this chapter. And hope, you guys, is that which produces this godly character that we looked at and we read about last week. Hope is that which helps us to think of ways to do good. Hope is that which motivates us to glorify God. Hope is that which compels us to obey the Lord rather than to obey our flesh. You see, it's hopelessness. It's hopelessness that makes us think that we have to lie, that we have to steal, that we need to seize upon our illicit pleasures for the moment. It's hopelessness that does that. It's hopelessness that says, this is it. This is the time. Seize upon it rather than trusting in God. But see, hope, hope that is rooted and based in the sovereignty of God and in His providence and that He has your best interests in mind, hope that's rooted in that, you guys, it realizes that there's much more at stake than just the next moment. There's much more at stake than just satisfying your lust, than just getting what you want, than just making it happen. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to see this hope demonstrated in each of our three main characters. In verses 1 through 5, we see Naomi's hope. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, 
My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Naomi has always had a heart for Ruth to find her a husband. She, she feels it her responsibility. Her son, Ruth's husband, Malon, had, had perished, had died. And she is taking her under her wing. She wants to find a husband for her. She realizes that the custom may be for her to have a child. And believe it or not, in that culture, they might even wait to, to marry a child of their in-law or of their brother-in-law to pass on the name. But Naomi's way past childbearing age and she feels a responsibility. And so she says, look, I want to seek a husband for you. I want to seek rest for you. I don't want you to go on mourning any longer. So we've got to, to understand the, the scene here. Ruth would have dressed like a widow. She would have been mourning. She would have made it very clear that her husband had passed away. And this wasn't just something that happened in the past and, oh, okay, it's all over with now. Culturally, this would have been part of her persona, part of the way she carried herself. And Naomi wants to free her from that. And Naomi, ever since chapter 2, verse 20, where she had this epiphany about who Boaz is, about who this man is that took Ruth and helped her and provided for her and protected her, the lights went on in Naomi's head and she realized who Boaz is and what was going on here. And so she begins to formulate a plan. And this plan that she creates, you guys, it's rooted in hope. It's rooted in the fact that she recognizes that God hasn't given up on them. That God is for them. Even though there was a point in time where she just really thought it's over with. God has turned his back on me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But then there came a point where she had this epiphany, where she recognized that God was working, even though that she didn't realize it. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, she was out gleaning, you remember, picking up the leftovers and even receiving beyond that as Boaz was blessing her. But Ruth has been working with them for probably six to eight weeks now through the barley harvest. And she says, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, those that you're working with, is he not our relative, our redeemer? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. They would stockpile all of the harvest at the threshing floor. And then there would come a point where they would go down to the threshing floor and typically at night where there would be a, a breeze blowing and they would throw the barley up into the air and the chaff and the barley would be separated from each other and the wind would take away the chaff and the, the weightier barley and wheat would fall to the ground. And typically this was, this was done at night. This was done by one person who would be working alone. And Naomi knows all of this. And so she's putting this together. She says, here's what I want you to do. Boaz is going to be working tonight. And this is your opportunity. Therefore, wash yourself. Look, you've been working out in the field. You're kind of dirty. You look kind of gross. Why don't you wash yourself? Guys like clean women, right? It's a good idea. I mean, I'm just trying to picture this. It's like, is she just filthy, dirty? You know, does she stink? Is this like a nice way of, you know, maybe this works out for Naomi as well, you know? Therefore, wash yourself 
And we have to remember, they didn't take showers every day. They didn't have that kind of convenience. This is a big deal. Wash yourself and anoint yourself with perfumes. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. So in other words, Ruth, make yourself look as good as you possibly can. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And so Naomi, having been married a while to Elimelech, she's kind of got this figured out. She's like, look, wash yourself, put on some perfume, put on your nicest clothes, look hot. Let the guy eat. Don't bother him when he's eating. He's been working all day. Let him eat. Let him drink. Let him get comfortable. Then he's going to go back to work. And then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Now, this plan, this scheme that Naomi comes up with, she's obviously been working on this a little while. And this is a risky thing that she instructs Ruth to do because this could be taken altogether wrong she's basically saying to Ruth hey I want you to get dressed up I want you to smell good I want you to look good I want you to go down there when Boaz is asleep and I want you to snuggle up next to him and then he's going to tell you what to do yeah I bet he will tell you what to do (laughs) this is a real risky proposition that Naomi is advising Ruth to do. They're putting all of their eggs in one basket here because Ruth is risking her reputation as well as her relationship with Boaz. But Ruth is a very teachable young lady. She doesn't ask a lot of questions. She doesn't argue. She listens to her mother-in-law. She says, look, all that you say to me, I will do it. And this idea, this scheme, this plan, you guys, it's rooted in Naomi's hope. She didn't have a lot of hope before. But all of a sudden, she recognizes that God is working in this situation. All of a sudden, she recognizes that God has a plan. And she doesn't just say, you know what? God's sovereign, and He'll work it out, and we'll just sit here and figure it out. It'll just happen. No, she acts upon it. You guys, God's sovereignty does not demand that we do nothing. God's sovereignty would ask us to involve ourselves as well. And that's what Naomi is asking Ruth to do. Not to be forward, well, kind of, she is being forward, but not to be the man in the the situation. She's not telling her to take control. There was a line there. And Ruth is going to dance on that line quite a bit. But she is saying to her, I want you to put yourself in Boaz's way. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. To put yourself in a position to be blessed by God. To put yourself in a situation where you receive from the Lord. And I think this relates in, in, in dating as well. And they've known each other now for about eight weeks. And clearly Boaz has had an eye for Ruth this entire time. There's no question about that. I mean, the moment he laid eyes on her, he's talking about protecting her. He's providing for her. He's given her all kinds of money. And I mean, he's... He's going out of his way. He had his eye on her, there's no question. But they didn't have this this dating kind of thing going on that we have today. They didn't have the the guy showing up and and taking the lady from her house somewhere else. That that wasn't how 
things were done. It was done in groups. They would get to know each other, which is such a better way to, to get to know somebody. Because how many times have ladies been deceived by a guy who treats her really good during that dating period, and then he's an absolute jerk in reality. And when they get married, those true colors come out, or, or vice versa. But when you're in a group and you see how somebody interacts with others, and you see how they treat other people, it can tell you a lot about a person. But basically what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is, look, the time has come to quit messing around. God has given Boaz to you. And Boaz, like a lot of guys, he ain't getting it. So why don't you help him figure it out? Because see, Boaz, in his mind, as we're going to see, he thought he's too old for Ruth. She's not going to like me. I'm old. She's young. I'm not that attractive. She's hot. Just isn't going to happen. So he was being a gentleman. He was protecting her. He was treating her well, but he didn't think anything was going to go further than that, although I think he absolutely wanted it to. But he wasn't pursuing her. And Naomi, in her hope of what God was going to do, puts Ruth in the right place at the right time. And so Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful. Now I want you guys to, to take notice of something here. Boaz had a drink. Boaz ate and Boaz had a drink. I don't know what it was. Probably wine. I doubt they had microbrews at the time. But Boaz had a drink. And you know what? It's really weird how in, in our culture today and in Christianity today, we have so twisted what is sinful and what isn't. And that we will tell somebody that, that drinking alcohol, period, is a sin. At the same time, treating somebody just absolutely horribly or gossiping, or lying, or doing something that is sinful. And so, on the one hand, we're telling people, you know what, don't drink, it's a sin. You shouldn't do it. And then, on the other hand, we're actually doing something that is sinful. And we're elevating and focusing on something that isn't a sin, and we've ignored that which is. And certainly, alcohol is a problem in our society, and certainly, it has ravaged families, but to say that drinking is a sin is an absolute twisting of the scriptures. Because I seem to remember a time where Jesus was invited to a wedding and they ran out of wine and Jesus didn't say, oh good, I'm glad because I hate this stuff. No, he made more. And people say, well, the wine in the Bible was, was weaker and really? Then why does the Bible throughout say, do not be drunk with wine? Why does the Proverbs talk about those that linger long at the wine? Because it was a problem in their culture and in their society as well. But they didn't say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, sex is a problem in our culture today as well. But I don't think any Christian married couples are saying, we shouldn't engage in sex because it makes people stumble and it's a big problem in our culture. You see what I'm saying? We're elevating the wrong things. God would much rather have you have a glass of wine and treat people kindly and lovingly and not gossip and not be angry than to be self-righteous. I don't drink wine, but I treat people like garbage. And I'm not saying that everybody that doesn't drink treats people like garbage. I don't drink. But what I'm saying is, is that we've elevated the wrong thing. And here we see Boaz having a drink. 
And for many years as a Christian, I, I kind of struggled with this because I grew up with the concept that if you drink at all, it's like a six-pack of hams and it's, it's just getting drunk and it's violent and it's nasty. That's what's in my mind. And so for many years, I, I had this idea and this opinion that, that drinking is something that, that Christians shouldn't do. But as you study the Bible and as you look at it, you see that it's something that God has given for us to enjoy in moderation. And so Boaz eats, he drinks, his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly. I mean, you just kind of picture her sneaking in like a ninja. I mean, she's just, she's got a plan here. She sneaks in, she uncovers his feet and she lies down. Now, the Hebrew, when it talks about uncovering, almost always is referring to sexual activity. Now, I don't believe that that's what went on here. But I also don't believe that this was just completely innocent and unromantic and that there was nothing going on. Somewhere in the middle is what happened. This was certainly Ruth laying it all on the line and saying, Look, Boaz, I know you haven't figured it out yet. I know you're kind of thick like most men, but I want you to know that I'm yours. Whatever we need to do, I want you to be my husband. I want you to be my covering. She uncovers his feet, which again in the Hebrew, many scholars believe that that there's uh, something very romantic and something very sensual uh, about the, the phrasing and the wording here. And we don't need to get into all of that. But she uncovers his feet. She lays down beside him. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. So Boaz is, is just in deep sleep. He turns over, and all of a sudden, he wakes up and he realizes there's somebody else here. And you could imagine that that would be rather startling. Because this was a time, remember, it's the time of the judges. This was a time where when the Israelites would bring in the harvest, oftentimes the enemy nations would come and steal it. That's why Boaz is laying by it. And so he wakes up in the middle of the night, probably thinking, you know, as you do when you wake up, like 400 things go through your mind of different possibilities. And then all of a sudden, as he becomes more and more aware of his surroundings, he realizes, no, this isn't an enemy. This isn't a wild animal. This is a woman. And she smells real good. <laughs> and you can imagine what would be going on in his mind and in his body. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now we read that, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But when Boaz heard it, it meant everything to him. He knew exactly what she was talking about. She's saying, look, I want to be your wife. I want you to act upon your position as the Goel, as the Redeemer, as the close relative. And we've talked about that before. That in that culture, that a close relative would buy people out of slavery if they had to sell themselves into slavery because they were in debt. Or they would buy back a portion of land that they sold because they needed to pay off bills. Or they might marry a widow to further the line of that deceased relative. But I also want you to know something. That many commentators that you'll read on this particular portion of scripture 
are completely wrong and, and are really misleading in, in how they interpret this. Because they will say that Boaz is under obligation to be the Leverite here, to be the Redeemer, to marry Ruth and to further the line. No, he's not. He's not Elimelech's brother. In Leviticus 25, it's talking about a brother. And remember the, the Sadducees brought that up to Jesus? What if a, a woman is married to seven of these brothers and, and she has no, no children by any of them? Whose wife will she be in heaven in this ridiculous scenario? Well, the Sadducees were referring to that Leverite law of marrying your brother's widow. I mean, you better make sure your, your brother marries somebody you like, right? Or make sure that your brother never dies. But there's two things that are a problem with that here. Number one, it was not a command. They didn't have to do it. Certainly it was a responsibility. And you would be looked down upon if you didn't do it. But it was not a command. They had the option to say, eh, I'm all right. Never liked her anyway, you know. Didn't like her coming over for Thanksgiving and Christmas, let alone living with her all the time, you know. So no thanks. They could do that. But the other thing is, Boaz is not Elimelech's brother. He's under no obligation, you guys, and it's important as we see the connection to Jesus. He's under no obligation to do this. Ruth acts upon Naomi's advice, and she puts herself in Boaz's ways. way, which, ladies, if you're single here this morning, and maybe you are looking for a man, maybe you, there's a guy that, that you're attracted to, what, what have you. There's nothing wrong with putting yourself in the way of somebody and she takes a huge risk to her reputation because Hosea 9 chapter 1 says that it was real common for prostitutes to seize upon these opportunities where men were alone and they would go out and they would make themselves available during this time you can read about it in Hosea 9 verse 1 and so Ruth is is basically putting herself into a real dicey kind of a situation and that's why Boaz is like, who are you? Well, what's going on here? But she does this out of her hope. She does this out of hope that God is going to come through. And I don't believe that in her mind she had any sinful kind of thoughts. I don't think she had anything insidious in mind at all. But certainly she's dancing on that line quite a bit. And, and really ramping up the direction that this relationship is going. And then Boaz said to her, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And here's Boaz admitting he didn't think he had a chance with Ruth. He figured she'd go get some young stud, and, and that was the end of it, which also shows the humility of Boaz. He didn't think like, oh, I deserve her, I'm rich, she ought to want me. He didn't think to himself like, look, I've done a lot for you, and so you ought to give me something in return, which is so common today. And, and ladies even feel that obligation. And, and another drawback really to dating is so often guys will, will have this mindset, look, I've spent money, and now you're to give me something in return. And there's this pressure. Boaz doesn't have that at all. He's a humble guy. He's also a man of character, because, and this character was rooted in hope. Because if he thought, you know what, I'm going to seize on the opportunity. It's now or never. I mean, here she is. She's practically throwing herself at me. 
we're all alone. The time is right. Bada bing, bada boom. Let's get it on, right? That's very, very easily what Boaz could have thought to himself, what he could have done. And I mean, in a sense, who would have blamed him? I mean, geez, she practically threw herself on you. What could you expect? You can't tempt a guy like that. You can't do that, Ruth. It's your fault. Can't blame him at all. And yet he's a man of character. And this character was, was rooted in hope. That there was a lot more at stake here than just this fleeting opportunity. He didn't want her for a moment. He wanted her for a lifetime. He didn't want to take advantage of her. He wanted to protect her. He didn't want to use her. He wanted to bless her. See, and that's the difference between a loving husband and a provider and a protector than just some dirty guy that wants to fulfill his selfish desires. And now, my daughter, do not fear I will do for you all that you request. What did she request? That he be her covering. That he be her husband. Cover me. Take me in. I will do all that for you. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Another plot thickener. There's somebody else, Ruth. I don't know if you realize that or not, but I've got to go talk with him first. There's somebody that's closer than I. And in fact, they would have the legal right to marry you and to act upon the status of a redeemer. And so we've got to get them out of the way first. And and you can just imagine what's going through Boaz's mind. Just like, man, I hope that guy passes on this opportunity. Stay this night, Ruth. And in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. I don't really think he would think that was good. But he does have Ruth's best interests in mind. And so if there's somebody there for her, then praise the Lord. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said... Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I don't know who Boaz is talking to. Is he talking to Ruth? Is he saying, look, we're not going to talk about this? Or is there somebody else there? Did somebody else come in and they saw and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Whatever the case may be, Boaz is protecting her. He's protecting her reputation. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it out. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley. Now, the New King James says ephos. And you notice it's in italics, which means it's an added word. It's clearly a mistake on the part of the translators. This is not in the original. It's just their way of trying to help it make more sense. Rather than saying six measures, they put in ephos. But an ephah is way too much. This would be like 100 gallons of grain. I don't think Ruth's holding that up in her shawl. Six ephahs, better translated, six measures of barley. And he laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Again, Naomi's confident. Naomi has hope. Look, Ruth, 
You did what you can. Now sit and wait on the Lord. Sit and wait on Boaz to do what he's going to do. Because he will do it. I'm confident of that. You see, she did act upon her hope. But she didn't take matters into her own hands to the point where she compromised herself. Or where she made it happen completely. And all of these people's characteristics, all of their actions are rooted in hope. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. Boaz's obedience. Boaz's self-control. Boaz's ability to say no to his flesh was rooted in hope. Was rooted in the hope that God had something else in mind here. It was rooted in their understanding that they were being used by God to fulfill a much larger picture, as we'll see next week. In the same way, you guys, that Ruth came to Boaz is the way in which God desires us to come to him. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, it says, When I passed by you again, this is God speaking to his people, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing, the same word that's used in Ruth, as Ruth asked Boaz to spread his wing over her. God says to Israel, God says to to us, I saw you, I noticed you, and I spread my wing over you, and I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant or a relationship with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. The same way that, that Ruth presents herself to Boaz, You guys, is the way that that Jesus wants you to present yourself to him. To come to him and to say, Lord, be my covering. Be my everything. Be my husband. You see, the the bride of Christ, you guys, it's, it's not just for women. It's for men too. Jesus is our covering. He's our husband. He He's the lover of our souls. And he wants us to come to him and to lay it all on the line. Not to, to keep some of it back. Not, not to say, well, if this doesn't work out, then I've always got plan B over here. Do you notice that Ruth has no plan B? Because if Boaz didn't like this, she's in a lot of trouble. Or if Boaz did like it, and he liked it so much that he decided to take advantage of her, she's in a lot of trouble. She trusted him, and she put it all on the line. And you know what, you guys? I think there's some of us here this morning that have not truly given everything to the Lord. We haven't risked it all. We haven't laid it all down because we don't trust God. We don't have the hope that Ruth had. And I think this morning that God would say to you, look, I want to be your covering. I want to be your all in all. I want to be everything to you. But you've got to lay down at my feet an act of submission. And you've got to give it up. You've got to say, look, Lord, I'm yours. Take me. I I don't want to hang on or cling on to anything in my life any longer. God, forgive me. Forgive me for keeping this back from you. God, forgive me for not trusting in you in this area. God, forgive me for having all these other plans in case it really doesn't work out. Forgive me for taking my life back when it seems like you don't know what you're doing. What God wants you to do is to lay it all down. And then to sit still and see what the Lord does and rest in him. That's what God wants from you. You see, it wasn't Ruth that went out and made this happen. It was Boaz. And see, you guys, Jesus, he made it happen. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our goodness. 
He doesn't need our works. He doesn't need us to keep a list of rules and regulations. He just wants us to come, offer ourselves completely and wholly, and say, take me, I'm yours. And man, if you haven't done that this morning, we're going to have people up here to pray with you. And I would just encourage you, if you've never given your life to the Lord, do that this morning. Give yourself to Jesus. Throw yourself at him, at his feet. Or maybe you're a, a believer here this morning, and you've just been holding back, holding back, and you want to give it all to him. I encourage you to do that this morning. Why don't we stand? Encourage you to keep reading ahead. We'll look at, at chapter 4. Close out this book. Not next week, actually, but the following week. But I encourage you to read ahead and, and to continue to ask God to speak to you through this great book. Continue to see the, the implications and the applications for you today. It's so amazing. This book was written 3,000 years ago. And the application in our life today is as fresh as ever. And it points to Jesus. And that's what I hope you're walking away with this morning, is a fresh glimpse of Jesus and the love that he has for you. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you, Lord, that every portion of Scripture points to your Son, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we're not here to, to get together to talk about rules and right living and how to be a, a person that can gain the favor of God. Lord, there's, there's so much of that out, out there. God, there's so much of this just teaching, Lord, that is not gospel-centric. And, Lord, I'm guilty of it as well, and God, forgive me. But this morning, Jesus, we want to be focused upon you. And we see you in the text. And we see how this points to you, Jesus. And we see that it's all about you. And we see that your word is an unfolding story, singular in nature, from beginning to end, pointing to the redemption made possible through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we see that illustrated in Boaz, who became a redeemer. And not only the redeemer of Ruth, but Lord, part of your plan is they would be the, the lineage of King David, who would be in the lineage of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, what an amazing story. God, may we continue to ponder it and to meditate upon it as we leave here. Lord, I, I want to pray specifically for those that don't know you this morning, that have never given their lives to you. God, I pray right now that they would just pray with me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've turned my back on you. But Jesus, I know that you came and you took on human flesh and you shed your blood and you gave your life to me. And so Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender it all. I lay down at your feet. I offer myself to you. Take me, Lord. Be my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are just holding back, who have not given everything to you, or those of us that know you, and yet we're not rightly relating to you. God, this morning, we repent of that, we turn from that, we surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.